Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings reading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're reading chapter 37 of Order of the Phoenix. So, if you want to join us, grab a glass of your favourite, I don't even know, random alcohol, and join us for a recap, apparently, of all five books. Yeah. A two-hour recap. Mm Mm-hmm. Enjoy! Uh, I would grab snacks as well. Maybe grab snacks. <laughs> Maybe grab vodka. Yeah. Hi, Charlie's just got a got a got a hot message of someone. <laughs> uh, yeah, what if he hears this? Okay, we won't joke about it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to the podcast listeners who fancy us. Um, yeah, it makes thank us you. supremely uncomfortable, but thank you for your support of our appearances. It's good to know that we have options. <laughs> thank you so much. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Wink wink nudge nudge. <laughs> thank you. Hello. And welcome to the chapter 37 where we discuss hopefully all of the lost prophecy, but I suspect only half of the lost prophecy, but we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. Um, how are you today? It's the same day as the last episode we recorded. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We, yeah, vibing. 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 For once, and we'll, we'll go into this later, but for once, Hannah doesn't know the alcohol. But I just went in to, like, discuss it with Neil to, like, ask how he thinks it should be drunk. It's very short. I hope we have more. We might... Uh, no, we have loads. But like Hannah came in halfway through and I was just like, Neil was like uh, lying on the sofa. And like the Charlie moment, was kneeling at his and crotch. And then I was like kneeling at his crotch. And the minute before, he'd had the cat on his lap who had jumped off just before Hannah opened the door and she was like, what are you two? What's going on? What are you two doing? <laughs> well, I don't trust you two, but it was a weird thing to walk I into. I was like, oh, I was just sucking his dick, and then you came in. Uh, no, but yeah, I was. And then asking... I then ran into the other room and did some vibing to Snow Patrol. So yeah, she was like, moving on, moving on. I'm going to get the Alexa to betrayal. vibe to, for me. We'll find out that in a minute. But first, we have new patrons we to do. welcome to the Patreon team family, famille. Famalam. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, a antagonistic size thank you to Amelia. A George of the Jungle size thank you to George, and that is the highest praise because George of the Jungle is... Mm. Very good. A Antonio Banderas <laughs> size thank you to Antonino. Antonino. Ant- Antonino. I'm going to go with Antonino. An alarming size thank you to Anina. A sacrificial lamb, size thank you to Sophie. An alopecia, size thank you to Alicia. A salicious, thank you to Sophia. A llama, size thank you to Lily. Or Lele. Lele. Lil. However you say that, please tell us and we will correct it. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. You are on the Patreon and are our favourite people. Aww. <laughs> Aww. You're helping to support this podcast. We need to buy some pieces of new equipment. You're helping with that. One of our pieces of equipment broke. Yep. That's the kind of thing that (laughs) without you, we'd struggle with. It actually broke like six months ago. (laughs) We bought one new piece to hopefully fix it. It It, didn't work. It fixed some of it. It fixed some of it. Uh, It didn't fix all of it. It did not. We have a review as well. So this review comes from Mila T, who says fourth review from Finland. I hope this continues. 
into many reviews from Finland because this has happened many times yeah. with people going like Everyone second is review. counting the Finnish reviews. Review. <laughs> if you're Finnish right now and haven't uh, left a review, please get us, do. Get us and up to 20 count reviews. what number you are, please. Yeah, please. I can't read the entire of this thing because like uh, the preview cuts off, but it says the best Harry Potter podcast. I can't come up with any praise that hasn't been said already. But if you're still looking for EU passports, hit me up. Absolutely. I currently have an Irish boyfriend, so fingers crossed on that front. But if Hannah needs something, I'm sure she'll hit you up. Yep. Um, I can promise you that unlike in London, tap water in Helsinki is 10 out of 10 and thus suitable for tea. She has been listening well. Yeah. I appreciate it, the It's those to detail. details. But also, yes, London tap water is ass. Uh, it's the same to me, but it's all right. Bye. Charlie, what are we drinking today? Drink anyway, Mr. Drink. Okay. Too sweet. Too sweet. Oh. Drinkable, though. Very drinkable. Probably because a lot of the ice has melted into it. Mm. Any guesses? The first taste is too sweet. The after taste is nicer. Is it some sort of gin? Nope. Like, you know when you go to France and you try to buy squash, but they don't have squash, they have, like, um, grenadine? Tastes like grenadine. But, like, what what flavour? Like, I suppose berries. Okay. Like, berry grenadine. Yeah. What is it? It is. Kopoha! What's that? (laughs) Tell me what that is. Okay. So this has been in my cupboard for probably three, if not longer years. Charlie keeps begging me to bin off Patreon alcohols because she has too many alcohols. No, not bin them off. Just let me have the occasional week because I have a tiny kitchen and so much of my space is... Is podcast booth, but you have like an entire cupboard for your like what the misu shit cupboard? <laughs> yes, <laughs> where you store your cat shit is where you store your booze. No, yes. we're kidding. It's the shelves above. But I like <laughs> still I, just as bad. No, this is. I'm not even kidding when I say the podcast booze that I have at this point. Some of it has been there. Most of it's been there years and years, and it is genuinely affecting my life at this point. That it takes up space. So anyway. We didn't have anything that we actually had for today's episode. We had like Patreon requests, but didn't have it yet. So I was like, finally, because this one is probably the one in my cupboard the longest and also takes up the most space. Uh, So this is Kopoha, or I don't know how you spell it. Say it rather. So my sister bought me this probably over three years ago with her ex-partner when they went to Budapest. Um, And it is cranberry vodka. Cranberry? Yeah. It's 18%. Ah, yeah, so half percentage. Yeah. Very um, nice. I love cranberry. Yeah, it's in a really nice bottle. Wow, look at that uh, stopper. But yeah, I didn't even realise until like five minutes ago that this was vodka. So Neil just had some and he was like, that's really drinkable. Mm. And then, because yeah, so it says Kopoha Russian Crown, which confused me because I was like, it's from Budapest and Budapest is not really near Russia. And then yeah. it says cranberry on it, obviously. But then I Googled it and it was like, Russian Crown is vodka. And then I was like, oh. So then I like Googled the cranberry. It's literally just cranberry vodka. I mean, I like it a lot. Obviously, cranberry as a woman has the connotations of being forced to drink it when you mm-hmm. have a UTI. UTI. But um, but I actually do really love the taste of cranberry. And see, I hate it, but I actually quite like this. It's a it is a very sweet cranberry. It's on the chapter seven. Chapter, chapter 37. Not, not chapter 7. That was a year ago. <laughs> Shall we just start again? Because I don't think we spent enough time, time on this book. No, honestly. We might have started it in 2020, but, you know. We have spent triple the time on this book than any other book. Because <laughs> somehow nothing happens, but we've still and been so doing, much, like, one chapter an and episode. And also, this is most people's least favourite book. 
Let's just hope that our personalities are endearing enough. And if not, at least we know we're fuckable. To 37. 37. The lost prophecy. Sweet baby Jesus is this chapter in depth. Do you want to? It's also like, do you want to go deep? Do you want to go over the plot of the last five books in detail? Welcome to this chapter. It's like I, I really hate it when authors or like producers or anything spells things out to the audience. But this is like, oh, we're not gonna like spell things out and drip feed. It's like you can get the entire plot of the books. In one chapter. I mean, enjoy. I, it's both kind of useful because she did such a big gap in between four and five, I think it was, that like, I suppose it was kind of necessary. Like, if you hadn't mm. done a reread, but it's just like, and this was meant to be like uncovering all the secrets of all yeah. the other books. Oh my God. But also, and there's so much subtext when we now know the information of book seven. Yeah. But it is just like, I was like writing notes and messaging Charlie, just like, oh my God, Mm. oh my God. It makes sense because she explains her reasons. She explains the reasons that Voldemort, why do we always confuse Voldemort and Dumbledore? That Dumbledore didn't want to tell him the shit before, which yes, there were reasons. But it then also means that then you get all of it explained in one chapter. And you think that's overwhelming as the reader. Fuck knows how Harry thinks and that's his actual life. Yeah. Yikes. Shall we get into it? Yeah. So Harry arrives in Dumbledore's office. And I've made an interesting note, something that I've never picked up on Mm. in all of my other many, many rereads. Harry, as the narrator, notes that everything in the office is repaired from when it was smashed during the instant where Dumbledore escaped. And I think this is really important because when Harry does his smash of the office, he is perfectly aware that it's all fixable because he has already made the mental note that it was broken Mm. during the escape and is fixed now. Yeah. And I think that shows a level of compassion of Harry that we don't often give him. Yeah. I also quite like it. And and I'm aware that this gets debunked later in the chapter. So I know it's not true, but it's just my own personal headcanon. I like to think it's fixed, not because everything has magically fixed itself, but because Dumbledore has fixed it because he has just still been living there for the past several months. And no one's thought to check. No, because the it locked itself to everyone aside from <laughs> so like the you know the Ministry of Magic has been desperately hunting for Dumbledore and he's just vibing in his office, getting day drunk every now and then. Like McGonagall when comes does this to get like debunked? when does it get oh the portraits clap yeah yeah exactly yeah, so fine. it's like only the portraits but we can ignore that but they might have been putting on a show just maybe for, for harry yeah. yeah but like yeah i like to think he just repaired it all he's being day drunk with forks and the portraits and then on like a friday evening like mcgonagall comes and joins Hell him yes. like literally like the entire wizarding government looking for him and he's literally in his own office because how are they gonna know how are they gonna know why would they check there they've already seen it but yeah yeah Phineas appears and what's the gossip like the true homosexual he is. He's like, what's the vibe, kid? Harry looks out the window and is like, alas, dawn. And based on oh, no. it being oh, dawn, no. Oh, no. the Patreons requested something of me. They didn't request this of you. You are the one they request for most things because you're more active on the Discord. Enjoy the ASMR of me pouring more alcohol oh to get through this. No, you pour it for me. I can't. I you can. physically I physically do cannot. It. Do it. I not I'm not pouring alcohol as you're holding the glass over our mixing desk. Oh, wimp. 
multiple of them requested that I make a timetable of this day because they have a theory that it doesn't make sense. Mm. And I what? You live mean something, to serve. Something in Harry Potter? Not making sense? Something to do with time or geography? And I live to serve our patrons, our listeners in general, especially when it has anything to do with something that can be debunked. So here we are. Are you ready? No. According to Potter Wiki, this chapter happens on the 18th of June, 1996. Now, I don't firmly believe that this chapter happens exactly on this day, but we know it must happen in mid-June because we know they have roughly an eight-week summer, so that must begin at the beginning of July to end on September 1st, and we know they have roughly two weeks of the school year left after this chapter. So 18th of June is fine with me. Let's go with what Potter Wiki says, 18th of June. Now, canonically... So what I laid down first in this timetable is the hours we know to be true. Harry's history of magic exam is stated in the text as starting at 2pm. We know that for a fact. Harry, we know, has a vision. And at some point, Hermione, they're making a plan in the office. And Hermione says, Harry, it's 5pm. The the ministry would be full of wizards. So we know that that bit of text is happening at 5pm. So I work backwards from there. The history of magic exam starts at 2pm. It goes on for two and a half hours before Harry has his vision. I don't think this is out of the realms of possibility. Like this is their main exam. That's quite long, but that's not, that's not that weird, is it? Mm. So the exam goes on for around two and a half hours. Then I've given Harry having his vision half an hour. Uh, He has it around 4.30. He runs around looking for people for a bit. He runs into Ron and Hermione as they finish the exam at around five o'clock and the team start to make a plan. This is when Ginny and Luna come in and this is where the timeline already begins to fall apart because I had to give the team making a plan an hour. I didn't want to give it an hour. I originally gave it half an hour, but here's where it begins to fall down because the 18th of June, I looked up the sunrise and sunset times in Inverness in Scotland. If you want to argue that Hogwarts is somewhere different, I chose somewhere in the middle of Scotland. Don't fight me. It can't be that different. It can't be that different. So in June and the 18th of June is actually basically the longest day of the year. We're, we're roughly at the longest day of the year. So sunset is around quarter past 10 at night. Oh my God, that's the dream right now. Oh God, I'm at sick At least of now it's gotten to like 4.30 and I'm like, thank God. Because back when it was getting to like 2.33, I just genuinely wanted to die. So sunset is at quarter past 10. This is not when it starts to get dark. That is when the sun mm-hmm. hits the horizon. It starts to get dark a bit before that. And sunrise, in this time in June, is quarter past four in the morning. Okay, so I put yellow. I can show it to you afterwards and I will send it. I will make it a public link in the description of this episode. I put in yellow the facts we know to be true as canonically stated in the chapter. Things that J.K. Rowling wrote that are true. So the things that that is, is the exam starts at 2pm. Hermione says it's 5pm. They set off at the Thestrals when the sun is setting and Harry arrives back in Dumbledore's office as the sun is rising. They are the only things we know to be true. So what that means is when Harry and the team make a plan and the sun is setting when they set off on the Thestrals, there is five hours. I cannot make this make sense. This is the bit that makes no fucking sense. Yeah. So 
I can give an hour to Harry and the team making a plan. I can't give more than this because we know they're rushing. Mm. They break into Umbridge's office. They talk to Creature. Harry gets pulled out of the fireplace. Umbridge questions him. Snape comes. I've given this an hour and I think that's generous. Mm. I think it's only half an hour. Again, when I originally wrote this, I gave both those half an hour. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with how big the castle is, all the walking, we should generously give it an hour. But we're now giving those things two hours. Then they need to walk into the forest. Again, when I originally wrote this timetable, I gave it half an hour. But I couldn't make the timetable make sense. So I've given them walking into the forest an hour. The only canonical thing description we have is Harry says it felt like they were walking a long time. But Harry is having basically an anxiety attack. He doesn't know what time is. Yeah. Like, this is not... It's always going to feel like a long time when you feel like you're on the clock. Exactly. So I've given it an hour. I truly believe it was half an hour. Yeah. But I've given it an hour. I've then given half an hour for what I would call lightly the centaur drama. Mm -hmm. We'll leave it there. This cannot be more than half an hour because it's laid out line by line in the text. I think half an hour is so generous. I agree. Sure. It's like an interaction. Exactly. I believe it's 15 minutes max but i've given it half an hour i've then given half an hour to they have another argument so this is harry and hermione walking off ron and that lot appearing them having an argument at the center so i've again generously given that half an hour and i think it's 15 minutes mm. that still only takes us to nine o'clock at night when the sun does not set till quarter past 10 and they take off on the festivals as the sun dips below the horizon so i even in the timetable that i was meticulously trying to make work have an hour of question mark question mark question mark Question mark, explanation mark, question mark, question mark. There Amazing. is no way I can make this work. Yeah. I don't believe anyone can make this work. There's six hours. Uh, they got stoned and had a load of group sex they forgot about. Yeah. So they set off on the Thestrals mm. at what I believe to be 10 o'clock at night for them to be riding into the sunset at quarter past 10 mm. for them to be then mostly flying in the dark. Maybe we could generously say... J.K. Rowling was romantically describing what a sunset looks like and they did actually set off at nine and Harry's just like, oh, the sun is fading mm. for an hour before the sunset. Let's just say that. I've then given four hours to the Thestral ride. This gives the Thestrals an average flight speed of 150 miles an hour, <laughs> which I feel is generous. Um, They would all be dead. I feel that's generous. They would all be so dead. 150 miles an hour. They have. They would suffocate. As we have established, 500 miles to fly. So even if the Thestrals were flying at 100 miles an hour, it would take them five hours. I've given them four. If they set off at nine, that would be five hours on the Thestrals. So let's just say Harry is romanticising the sunset. They set off at 9pm and the Thestrals travel at 100 miles an hour. Mm. Okay? The Thestrals travel at 100 miles an hour. I've written fly my pretties. Naturally. Naturally. Harry does say it takes a while, but that is five hours is a fucking long time to sit on mm -hmm. a horse. And they land at two o'clock in the morning. I've then given them an hour to look for Sirius, look in the rooms, they look in the brain room. Mm -hmm. I think, again, that's generous. Yeah. But that's getting down in the phone booth, all of that malarkey. Yeah. I've given them an hour. Okay. I think that's maybe 40 minutes, but yeah. I've given them an hour. Mm -hmm. 3 a.m., the kids 
begin fighting. The Death Eaters appear, they get split up, they fight, they go to the archway room, Sirius dies. I think that's pretty realistic for an hour. Yeah. Begs a question, why did it take the order that long? But okay, it's fine. At 4am, we have the Dumbledore and Voldemort fight. I've given that only half an hour because it's described line by line and really doesn't feel that long. Mm-hmm. And at 4.30, Harry takes the portkey back to Dumbledore's office and sees the sun rising, which began 10 minutes previously. It doesn't work, but it doesn't not work. Mm. I had patrons telling me there's no way it could work. What I will say is the whole getting to Umbridge's office, going to the forest, getting on the centaurs took twice as long as the whole ministry bit. Which and there's is, no other way that can work. Which, and it's bollocks. Unless, and we know that Hogwarts and the forest is huge, but unless it's like insanely huge to the point where having classes wouldn't function because you would never be able to get there in time. Yeah. Then no, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Like, night is so short on the 18th of June. Night is only in the UK six hours. That mm. It's not long enough to make this work. No. I have kind of made it work, but the, she screwed herself over by saying that the festival set off at sunset. If yeah. she hadn't said that, this works. Yeah. Yeah. I get. I mean, I can't say I blame her for not really thinking specifically about what time sunset is at the time she's writing but this. it's so easy to look up. But it, yeah, it, it still doesn't work. For me, it's like the point of, say, it was like nine when they didn't come out of the forest. Yeah. So, How? okay, let's say it's nine when they didn't come out of the forest. So Sirius, ha- then, Sirius? Yep. as Dumbledore describes, alerts the order. We do not know in what way he alerts the order, but we can imagine it's pretty instantaneous. Yeah. He he says that it is more efficient than, like, fire or anything. So you would assume that this is, like, instantaneous. And the time is so precious that Sirius refuses to wait around yep. for Dumbledore to arrive in what is described textually as it sounds like only half an hour. It really makes it sound like half an hour till Dumbledore's about to arrive. Yep. But Sirius insists on going. Yep. And that's why Dumbledore is half an hour to an hour later. But the Thestuals have to be flying textually for four hours minimum. Yeah. So if the Ministry, let's be generous, let's, let's say the Ministry is alerted at 930 10. How do they, do they rock up 3 at like 3.30 a.m.? Yeah. How? I, I have them arriving at 3 a.m. How? 3.30. What were they doing? I've, I, on, they're in London already. Like, they're in, they're sitting in Grimmauld Place. Like, and like, I understand that it can take time to rally people, but surely you have, like, we can assume that they have some kind of DA Death Eater style getting in contact yeah there's no way that the da has this efficient way in the order of the phoenix no, doesn't absolutely not absolutely because that's so, even jokes about we have a more efficient way than using umbridge's fire yeah exactly so they have an instantaneous i understand that it's like late i mean i would argue that like 10 o'clock they should all be fucking raring to go uh you know they probably just had to get out of their pajamas or whatever but like like you would think in a massive emergency if you said to me, like, right now, like, I'd, if you said to me at, like, 2am, right now, you absolutely have to go. Like, there is an emergency and, like, people you love are at stake. It would take me only the amount of time to put appropriate clothing on. Yeah. Bearing in mind that I sleep naked. See, like, I sleep in pyjamas. I just throw a coat over the top. I'm out the door. I'm gone. Get yeah. Me, get me there. Yeah. I literally would put, like... And these people can 
slappery. They don't have yeah. our problem of having to physically get somewhere. I know. I would put jeans on a jumper and done. So I don't understand how it took them that long. I am perfectly aware that we are criticising something that JK Rowling is known for being bad at. And I'm not talking about the knowledge of gender and sex as a concept i'm talking about the fact that she clearly has no knowledge of how time money or anything actually grounded in reality works like we know this we before she was transphobic and everything else forgave her for it because it's kind of a quirky bit of her personality she just doesn't understand how these fucking things work yeah as someone who if i was writing a book would make this (laughs) fucking timetable that i've just made here it irritates me it just hurts me slightly anyway i will put the link to this timetable in the description and if you have any opinions or want to draw me a different timetable and try to make it work please do but the things you have to stick to if you want to make your own timetable is the two o'clock exam the five o'clock plan making the sunset at quarter past 10 and the sunrise at quarter past four you have to stick to those and try to make your own timetable if you want to do it yourself enjoy nerds enjoy right shall we get into the rest of the chapter yeah so dumbledore reappears and reassures him that there's like no lasting damage to anyone that he loves yeah and slightly before like harry's starting to feel like super suffocated in the room so he's like i'm gonna leave i'm gonna go i'm gonna walk Mm. and he's locked in the room which i understand from a narrative standpoint and also from a dumbledore standpoint but it so mirrors what happened at the beginning of this book and Harry starting to feel a lot of terrible emotions because mm. he was locked in. It so mirrors Sirius's emotions, why his emotions were so heightened, because he was locked in. And also, Harry starts to feel suffocated because in his own words, it's his fault Sirius died and he doesn't even realise about the mirror yet. It's not until the next chapter he realises about... He also describes his grief as a terrible hollow inside of him where Sirius used to be. And throughout this chapter, and I'll like keep bringing it up, but J.K. Rowling describes grief in such a raw realistic way which i'm almost glad i read as a a child because i can see why we all related Mm. to this because when i come back to it as an adult who has grieved it's so realistic it's so obviously she's grieved in such a personal way and she's put that into her writing and i'm i'm really glad she did she didn't sugarcoat grieving because it's Mm. it's horrible to read for a 15 year old to be going through this but then most teenagers have to learn to grieve in some way like i think this is why the books helped a lot of people because Mm. it tackled these issues in a very real way. But yeah, then Dumbledore appears and he's like, all the other kids are fine. Also, I'm going to start speaking in like big metaphors rather than actual helpful sentences. Yeah, I wrote that he does a shit job of comforting Harry. Like he tells him that his pain is human. And whilst I understand the sentiment, it's not entirely helpful in this moment, Dumbledore. Like what Dumbledore is saying is, correct and he's right but the the half an hour to an hour to the day to the week to the month after grief is not the time you need to be hearing that this pain you're feeling means you have the ability to love that's something that comes in later Mm. stages of grief you don't want someone to be like but it's normal it's normal that you're upset right now you're like fuck off like fuck off 
that it's 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 so unconstructive. Like Harry isn't concerned about his humanity right now. No, he's concerned about the fact that he's lost someone that he loves and that other people that he loves. You know. Yeah, I love the sentiment of what Dumbledore is saying, and I truly believe he's right that the pain that Harry is feeling is what sets him apart from Voldemort and what makes us in many ways human Mm. and the ability to love and feel but it's not fucking helpful an hour after death and it's not fucking helpful a week after death like we know that the stages of trauma and grief exist for a reason it's not helpful and the thing that like brings that home is when Dumbledore arrives Harry's trying to ignore him so he looks out of the window and catches sight of the Quidditch pitch and he thinks a really mundane thought he thinks that he never asked Sirius is if Harry was as good at playing Quidditch Mm. as James was. And this hurt me deep in my soul because it's one of those things when you're grieving, you're trying to live your everyday life because as an adult, you don't get the time to just exist in your Mm. grief. You have to carry on your everyday life and that's life and you have to. And then you see things that remind you of that person and you think it just makes you question things that are so mundane of like, oh, I should have asked them that. Yeah. And Harry just thinking this mundane thought really hurt me. It's like that line that Taylor Swift wrote in her song Marjorie of, I should have kept every grocery store receipt. Yeah. Because it's just like that mundanity is what you'll cherish one day. Yeah. He does a similar thing when Dumbledore passes that he starts to think of all the things that he didn't ask him. Yeah. But like, in a... In a way, this kind of annoys me that he thinks this and that it's... And don't get me wrong, I think it's so easy when someone passes to think about all the missed opportunities and all the things you never said or asked. But it's like, okay, but you think that you would take a lesson from that? Especially Harry, and I understand why he's self-centred, but he is a self-centred little shit. Yeah. He doesn't learn anything from this. It's like, oh, Harry, oh, what? You want to know how your Quidditch skills compare to your father? If only there was someone you could ask. Imagine there there was someone you could ask. Someone that you know. Someone that's still alive for now. Imagine you could ask them. Go ask them. Why aren't you going to ask? Like, ask yeah. Lupin. I know. Why? Or Hagrid. Like... Or Dumbledore. Yeah. Ask someone. You're like, oh, I really wish that I'd ask Sirius this. Ask Lupin. Yeah, like, I know. Because what if Lupin dies? Like, does. you have... What if Dumbledore dies? And he does. But like... <laughs> You have at this point, like, the one... Now, Lupin is the one true connection to his dad in terms of someone that knew him on that level. Because, yes, whilst, like, Dumbledore and Snape and Hagrid did know him, it's like you have one of his closest friends left. And this is the closest thing. This is, like, the only person on the planet that knew him really, really well. Yeah. And you could go and you could sit down with him and you could ask all of the questions. And this is the only way you were ever going to know about your father yeah. and this will end the moment that Lupin dies and it's likely that Lupin will die because one he's a werewolf and two he's in the Order of the Phoenix but Harry's and still you so never... young that he doesn't but you think, think he would learn that? by this I'm just I like know. oh my god please just sit Lupin down and get this information while you is, can this is the naivety of Harry that he still doesn't believe that Lupin will die he still thinks he has time when he that when the clock is already ticking and, and he doesn't have time Harry is naive in thinking he has time with these adults yeah. when he doesn't. And also he, in book six, is so busy. He's so busy with school and, and with 
and with teaching from Dumbledore because he and he thinks he has time to learn from Lupin and it's fucking heartbreaking like I'm I, agreeing with you it's just I guess and, it, I and just, it ties into that whole thing of always thinking you'll have more time with someone you always think you will yeah I guess but regardless of like thinking that you have more time with someone but like yes that is a thing but I'm just like if my parents had died when I was too young to know them I could not imagine meeting anyone let alone like two people that knew them so well and not immediately having a thousand questions like imagine not knowing anything about your parents you would want to know everything about them Mm. and harry at no point sits anyone down is like what did they like to drink what was their favorite color what were their personalities like but he meets all of these he meets all of these people that are like oh my god you have your mother's eyes and at no point is he like what were her hobbies i wonder if some of that is tied into jk rowling just not wanting to do that or some of it is actually tied into his abuse abuse he suffered with the dursies where he was not allowed to ask a single question i mean he was banned from asking questions yeah when he then meets people that opens up to him he would want to ask a thousand questions i doubt that she put that much thought i like i i enjoy that as like a like kind of you know narrative theory uh, uh, explanation but i doubt she actually put that much thought into it and i understand that you can't include every conversation and tackle every subject in a book at the end of the day this is a book about wizards you can't in you can't include every single deep conversation but you can't not include that and then drag it up when a character is lost yeah as like a emotional pain point and not have a single lesson learned from that. If you're going to use it as this, oh, boo-hoo, you should cry because he didn't ask him this. You can't then not have the character learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, we don't see enough of Harry. Like, he almost, in some chapters, acts obsessed with his parents, but doesn't follow that through in other yeah. chapters. And Sirius would have been, and Lupin, would have been so overjoyed to answer any question yeah. they had. Any any fucking question from the yeah. mundanity of what was their favourite colour to what was their favourite food to yeah. eat at dinner. And there's the thing, I'm sure, especially in that summer they had at Grimold Place, like I'm sure that there were many like boozy dinners where like Lupin and Sirius probably just told Harry loads of shit about his parents yeah. like over dinner and like had a few drinks and we were like reminiscing. And we don't see it. And I do understand because like, you know, we're being hypocrites, I guess, because we're complaining about the length of like Order of the Phoenix. And then we're like, but why? <laughs> didn't you include like stories every single conversation uh, i don't know i'm just like yeah i don't know because it's not even referenced you don't have to include the details but you just have to say and then harry had a lovely conversation with sirius and lupin all about his parents over dinner but instead we get the trauma of mad eye being like here's some people that died in a picture exactly (laughs) and that still doesn't inspire harry to be like maybe i should ask about these people learns in this chapter that his parents thrice defeated Voldemort and never does he ask Lupin no. what were the three times yeah. like could someone please what explain were the three times because Dumbledore's like you've defeated him four times I'm like okay well someone please fucking explain to me the three times because if I was their kid I'd want to know yeah. the detail and they were 21 and we must assume that all of these happened after they finished school so this was on average, one per year that they were defeating Voldemort. Please, someone explain this to me. <laughs> yeah, like that's mental as fuck. And, and Harry's just, just like, oh yeah, he I just defeated doesn't them all. ask. It just makes him come across because we criticise Harry as not giving a shit about anyone aside from himself. And I think that's just down to bad writing. But that just seems like such a glaring thing that he's like, oh, my parents defeated him three times. 
I've done it four. And like... we've never learned canonically what that three times is. And partly I think that's J.K. Rowling's intention because yeah. she wants to keep a Marauder story in her back pocket oh, to whip yeah. out at some point. Mm. We know she probably does. And that's why it isn't revealed in the text. Lily would have been pregnant for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, please explain. Oh my god. So Dumbledore's, yeah, like being like a grief counselor, but not a good one. Harry mm. starts to smash it, which like absolutely oh, moves. No, the line where he screams. Dumbledore says, This pain is what it is to be human. And Harry says, Then I don't want to be human. Like, mm. I know. J.K. Rowling has been through a lot of grief and you can see it in the way that mm. Harry is reacting. That moment where you're so absorbed by grief that you don't want to exist, you want don't want to be human. And it also really reminded me of, because Harry Potter was coming out at a similar time to Doctor Who, I don't remember what episode it is, but there's this episode where Doctor Who is talking to the Daleks and he's like, no, that's what makes humans human. Mm. Like, that is what it is to be human, that pain. Yeah. Like, it's probably when, like, Rose is dying or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And we've also rarely seen Harry lose it. Like, we saw it a bit at the beginning of this book with him kind of getting angry at Ron and Hermione. But this is him losing it, like losing mm. it. And it's just like, oh my God. What Harry is going through right now is like, imagine if you just lost like your closest relative. Yeah. And then you found like, you just, you were in like a white room with like nothing else. It was just you. You just lost your relative that for whatever reason you blamed yourself for losing them. And it was just you alone in this room. And the only other thing in the room was a pile of fortune cookies <laughs> that every time you snapped them open just said some pretentious bullshit yeah. about how to feel pain as human. And oh that God. was all you had. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, like, when I'm in the deep pain of grieving, I don't want someone to be like, this is what it feels like to love. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. Just so you know what you're going through right now. It's human. so valid. It's what makes you a man. Oh, my God. We have all been through this, babes. Ah! Dumbledore is terrible at handling someone's so grief. So Harry literally tries to run away from his problems. <laughs> and um, he says... Oh, the line that made me want to cry says, I've had enough. I've seen enough. And I know I just said that most teenagers do experience grief. And that's true. Yeah. But Harry's been through so much shit. And when he says, I've had enough, I've seen enough. I felt that like, run away, yeah. run away, go hide in the mountains, babe. Because you've mm -hmm. been through too much. You're 15. Yeah. If I, honestly, I was reading this, like, if I could take that pain for you, I would. Because you're 15, you don't deserve to be feeling this. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he tries to escape. <laughs> yeah, tries to leave, but door's locked. Uh, Dumbledore finally is like, it's my fault. It's like, you could have led with that. Yeah. He also says that I know how you feel. And Harry's like, you don't. And it, Dumbledore does actually know how he's feel because he's lost all his close family members. In but he doesn't ways. share that. But yeah, I wrote that like, never ever... In the before this, during this, or after this, as Dumbledore offered Harry his family history to help Harry learn to empathise with grief and understand that other people have been through this. So why yep. should Harry believe this fucking line that I understand how you feel? Yeah, Harry is right to be mad at this because when has Dumbledore ever given him yeah. reason to believe he understands his grief? Yeah. And I understand Dumbledore wanting to put like a distance, like no, a certain barrier. Not at this point. But Explain it's like it. he then goes on to have a conversation about how his like weakness weakness is caring for him. It's like, bitch, it's too late. Yeah. 
too fucking late. Honestly, it really irritated me when Dumbledore was like, I know how you feel. Like, I know you do, but it, fucking explain it to him. Yeah. So Be yet, more specific, bitch. Dumbledore is like, it is almost entirely my fault that Sirius is dead, which... Good. Finally, you are doing something good in this chapter mm. because the guilt that Harry is feeling is going to kill him. Yeah. So he says that he should have told Harry what Voldemort might do that night, as in mm. he might lure him to the ministry. So therefore, it's his fault that Harry went and not Harry's. And he says the line, old men are guilty if they forget what it is to be young. And oh, it's so good. It's... So well written. <laughs> so this chapter is so well written. It's so good. Yeah. The way it just unpacks the layers and layers and layers of plot and the layers of grief and hidden things. And it is true that like we all think when we're teenagers that we know best. Oh, I I knew best then, I still know best now. But as you get older, do you not think you forget what it is to be a teenager? I have had absolutely no character development since I was, like, 14. Sure, yeah. So. No. None. <laughs> I've not learned a single lesson. It's true. Good, right. <laughs> In this moment after Dumbledore says this, Harry is silent. And he says he sees the deep line in Dumbledore's face as the light from the dawn hits him oh my god i love this line because harry for the first time in all five books is seeing dumbledore as a human man not as a godlike figure not as this person that can solve everything he is seeing him as a man who is flawed who has made mistakes and is old and going to die soon yeah i just love the way it's written as the dawn light hits him it's so good it turns out dumbledore was worried the this entire book that Voldemort would use Harry as a spy into what Dumbledore was doing if they thought, if Voldemort thought that Harry and Dumbledore were close. Yeah, he so, didn't want to give him a reason to possess him. Exactly. So Dumbledore purposely kept him arm's length. I was literally reading this chapter out loud and making notes of what was happening because I feel like I forget this chapter quite a lot, like the details of it. So I was like... Noting it down really specifically. Mm. Especially because a lot of it just feels like like we knew it from the start and it's so difficult to remind yourself that you exactly. didn't. Exactly. So then I questioned what Voldemort would have used Harry for. Dumbledore later says that the end game wouldn't have been to use Harry to kill Dumbledore, but to use Harry in a way so that Dumbledore killed Harry. Yeah. But it would have actually been a really clever tactic of Voldemort, which I think would have been his tactic, is for him to possess Harry to try to kill Dumbledore, knowing Voldemort possessing Harry through Harry's body couldn't have done it, and Dumbledore in self-defence would have to kill Harry. Mm. That's a fucking clever plan. That's yeah. a good That's a good plan. That's an evil good plan. Yeah. It's a win-win yeah. situation. And because I think putting even... it like that, you can see why, why Dumbledore yeah. avoided it. Yeah, because for Dumbledore, it was a lose-lose situation because yeah. if Voldemort possessed Harry in that way, either Harry, possessed by Voldemort, kills Dumbledore or Dumbledore is forced to kill Harry mm. because he's about to murder him. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. what are the choice did he... What yeah. other choice did he have? But then it's kind of hypocritical when it's like Dumbledore claims that he knew all along that Harry's strength was love, but like seemingly didn't believe that that would be enough to expel Voldemort from his body. But was it because in that moment Harry was grieving? 
I like to think of it just like in general that Harry has the capacity to love and Voldemort doesn't and Voldemort cannot stand to be around it. Like, you know what it actually really reminds me of? It reminds me of War of the Worlds. You know, when the aliens die because they can't deal with just like the common bacteria of like planet Earth. No, because I haven't. I haven't. I'm sorry. It's good. Okay. Well, you've already had that spoiler. But (laughs) I'm amazed you haven't seen this, this, this like massive cultural like point i mean my mom has talked to me about it a lot I do yeah know most of the spoilers but yeah like aliens invade earth sure like pretty much kill almost everyone the remaining humans are like hiding and then like a few months in just all of the aliens die because they just can't deal with like the common cold or just like the general bacteria mm. which was really impressive when like hg wells was writing this it was like not a time where like that much was known about it yeah, cool. in terms of like bacteria and stuff so i believe i could be completely wrong with that but i don't think that that much was really known about it so it was like a very forward thinking way of thinking but yeah these just like aliens could not deal with the earth bacteria so they and this is how i've always interpreted this with Voldemort is that like love is a bacteria where he could not even stand to be in Harry for a second because like the Mm. love was too much but I suppose Dumbledore can't like test that theory so like that's a risky strategy it is to be like oh well I'll I'll just go for it. It is. What if it doesn't work? But I guess that's when you kind of have that as the plan B and the plan A should have been actually Dumbledore teaching him. Oh, absolutely. uh, And Dumbledore says that this whole chapter is about how Dumbledore was wrong. Yeah, for sure. So Dumbledore knew it was vital for Harry to learn occlumency so this possession didn't happen. But in an attempt to protect Harry, he chose not to do it himself and to delegate it to Snape. And in keeping this from Harry, in never telling Harry anything about this, anything about why, anything about anything and why Dumbledore couldn't teach it himself, it resulted basically in the same ends while putting more people at risk. If Harry had known about this from beginning, yes, Dumbledore would have been at more risk, but Harry wouldn't have risked his five friends' life, the five people from the Order that turned up, including Sirius. He only would have risked himself so the same ends are met but with 10 more people at risk and Sirius died Mm. and the others are severely injured and Dumbledore was trying to do what was right for the greater good and it ended up causing more harm and it's yeah but neither decision was right because there was no right decision yeah it's good I wrote that Dumbledore almost didn't predict this because Dumbledore's main flaw along with the other flaws he has but his main flaw is that he often forgets that people, mainly Harry, are a human with feelings and not a pawn in a chess game that you can put somewhere and say that will work Mm. and not consider that their feelings of their reprogression will cause wider ripples and affect a lot more around them and cause worse ends than what you were trying to prevent. Yep. Because it's like, even if he couldn't have been like face to face with Harry or something, he could have like sent him a note exactly. to explain that. Exactly. Rather than like psychologically Ma- torturing him. Or explain it to McGonagall. To explain yeah. it to Hagrid. To explain it to Lupin. To he explain didn't it to have him. to just completely not communicate. Like, no, all it was doing was psychologically torturing Harry. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, Dumbledore. Because however much he's separated himself from the greater good, he still views life as from the greater good, mm. sees people as pawns. Yeah. And that's why Dumbledore is such a good character, but yeah. he sees people as pawns. I know. And that's he why he manipulate. needs to get over his pawn addiction. Well, quite. <laughs> <Ba-dum, ba-dum>. <laughs> so Harry's like, but creature. And I was like, creature lied. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> so Creature has been serving Narcissa Malfoy since Christmas. Dun, dun, dun. Who would have seen that coming? Who would have seen that coming? Snape, when Harry said the cryptic message at him, understood immediately. And when he was then watching the forest and when Harry and Hermione didn't return from the forest, he alerted the order. And this is the bit where... I need them to make a whole TV series rather than a film. And this is where I have like a whole directorial scene planned out. Okay. So the timings may not work according to my timetable, but I don't care. Um, so Harry goes into the forest and Snape's been alerted and Snape's like watching the forest and Harry doesn't appear and ignore how long it takes a thigh on the festivals. Just ignore that. And then we have dual scenes, okay? So Harry is, like, going through the ministry. At the same time as Snape is like, something is wrong, something is wrong. So he's working out how to alert the order. And then Harry is walking down the passage in the Department of Mysteries with all his friends. And he's like, I'm going to find Sirius, I'm going to find Sirius. And Snape is heading to the order house. And he's like, I've got to find Sirius. Like, I've got to alert the order. And then, like, you've got dual scenes going on. Yeah. It's the end of the episode. And then as Harry rounds on the end of the aisle... You see Sirius, mm. but it's not Harry seeing Sirius. It's yeah. Snape seeing Sirius. And you can Sirius. do the thing where you have the camera turning the corner. Yeah. And as it turns the corner between the aisles and the Department of Mystery, it turns the corner in the Grimmauld, uh, place. Grimmauld place. And you see Sirius And it like, at the blends table. into one thing. Yeah. But yeah, then you see him and... Oh. And as Sirius looks at Snape, even though they are enemies, Sirius realises something is wrong because yeah. Snape is there yeah. and Sirius's face drops and then the camera continues to turn and you see Harry as he realises that Sirius is not there and then it cuts and then you get the music and yeah. oh my it God! Just, it makes me wonder how the film's missed on that. Honestly, like, like there are so many gold bits on there. that that you just think are just like obvious. Yeah. Like, to me, that is gold. That obvious. is cinematic Gold. And they just they just didn't go for it. Can it just you imagine feels like the such a missed panning? Yeah. It's like they didn't want to do anything like outside the fantasy genre. I know. So they just stuck with that. And it's like, no, because the best adaptations take from multiple genres and Harry Potter fits into so much more than just the fantasy genre. So oh frustrating. I know. Yeah. I have that all planned out how I want it in my head. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, it includes Alan Rickman, which... Uh. So, Snape tried to insist that Sirius did not go with them to mm. the Ministry, but Sirius insists on going while Snape searches the forest. So we know that Snape was actually like trying to save Harry. He searched the whole damn forest yeah. in case he didn't leave. But Sirius delegated telling Dumbledore where they went to Creature. So when Dumbledore arrived, it is Creature's job to tell Dumbledore. Dumbledore, who knows legitimacy forces out of Creature that it was a plot all along to entice Harry to the Ministry to injure Buckbeak to look like Sirius was not in Grimmauld Place to Harry because Creature has been working for Narcissa the whole time and the key information he passed Narcissa, he couldn't pass most of the order information but what he could pass on, which mm. Sirius did not deem relevant enough information to hide was how much Sirius and Harry loved each other. Yeah. 
sorry. But whilst you were going on about that, my brain was still like picturing out like the film scene. Yep, yep, yep. yep and yep. I have something to add to oh, it. Oh, please do. I feel like the moment that it becomes immediately obvious should not necessarily be when it reveals Sirius sitting there. Okay. Because I think that Sirius should be sitting there okay. on a chair on relatively chair. in the dark. Okay. So that you're kind of like... But we know that four others, that with Tonks, Kingsley and Lupin are Acrimal places established. But like they don't have to be there in the shot. Okay, okay. Like... It's cinematographic lighting. Sure, sure, So sure. it should be in the way where it's like, if you looked at the like background and stuff, you You're could be like, You're not sure yes. which room he's in, yeah. Yeah, but like, if you looked in detail, you can be like, yes, this is like Grimmauld Place, but when it's at a first glance for like, a, you know, it's literally going to be like a shot for like a second or two, like a beat or two. That you're like, okay, we've turned the corner and we're expecting to see Sirius sitting on a chair and we see him sitting on a chair. It shouldn't be until the camera pans back around to Snape, Snape that you realise it's not the right chair. That it's not the right yeah, chair. Yeah, no, hundred. That's how I envisaged it. But it's like you would see the background, but like cinematically, just but yeah, just make it you what see you what to you it. expect to see, and it's not until it pans around and you because see also, Snape that Sir- you're like. But also no. that would work because like Sirius and Snape are so panicked, they forget everyone else around them. In the same way that yeah. Pride and Prejudice during the romance scene, they cut the rest of the ballroom out yeah. because all they care about are each and other. And it also it works to shoot Grimmauld Place in like a dark low light, just because yeah. it's like a creepy fucking place. And then place. and then it works cinematographically to switch from. Snape, although he knows that this is right, still shocked face to Harry because Snape and Harry are linked, although the opposite sides of the coin are linked literally a lot of ways. So to switch from Snape's horror-struck face that Sirius is there and he is right and they have to go to Harry's shocked face that he has led his friends to his death and Sirius is not there. And then it makes the timeline make more sense that if these happened at the same time... Oh, yeah. That then that gives the order, okay, they need to assemble enough people to go safely, that then they have that time to get their shit together, which is the exact same time that shit starts to go down between, like, the DA and the Death Eaters. it makes the timeline make more sense. It makes it make more sense. Um, Excuse me, we need to be advisory on the TV adaption of Harry Potter. If this doesn't happen, then it's a travesty. Also, we copyright everything we just said. (laughs) Don't fucking steal it. Pay us, bitch. Pay us, bitch. If someone tries to steal that in the future, I'm suing. So Creature was like the, not baddie, but yeah. Creature told the information to Narcissa that Sirius didn't deem important. That Sirius and Harry loved each other. Hermione is brought up as being right three times in this chapter, verbally. Like, Harry says to Dumbledore, yeah, Hermione said that. Yeah, Hermione was right about that. And it's almost painful because it's like, it's when Harry should have listened. But Hermione is pragmatically right in some ways and Harry is more emotionally dread. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he should have believed her or listened to her. But it's painful where three separate times he has to say, yeah, Hermione was right about that. Dumbledore then because they're talking about Creature, criticises Sirius's treatment of Creature and compares Creature to Dobby because Harry's like, I hate Creature, he's fucking scum of the earth. And Dumbledore's like, he's much like your friend Dobby. Mm. He is what he is made by wizards. Yeah. I love everything about house elves in mm-hmm. these books. What, because, you love slaves? Yes, I love enslavement in my children's fantasy books. No, I love the metaphors that are carried through throughout mm-hmm. the books. This whole thing about house elves are what they are made by wizards is proved in book seven where Harry shows kindness yeah. creature and creature ends up becoming essential in their fight against Voldemort and Dobby even more essential because Harry shaped Dobby's 
treatment mm. of wizards. It's like, it's so infuriating. It's like, take a human being, right? If you constantly like spoke down to them, insulted them, swore at them, kicked them, they're probably not going to be great to you. Not going to be very loyal to you, are they? So like, what does it take to like, what, what like... How was this rocket science for Harry and Sirius? Like, well, Harry, because he was mistreated as a child, has always been kind, basically, to house elves. Because... He wasn't really decreed though. He wasn't mean, but he was like very neutral. But this is why I almost really like what they gave Sirius and Creature because Dumbledore even says Sirius was not a cruel man. He was generally kind to house elves. He was not the Lucius Malfoys mm. of this world where he was abusive towards house elves. But yeah, it's because it was a reminder Mind of his family. What... But it's like these. It's it. It's kind of a story of how the ripple effects. Like Harry Potter is all about the ripple effects. Yeah. And I get that, but it's just that, like, it's Harry now hearing this, where it's like, why, like... Because Harry, and I wrote this down, is martyring Sirius in his grief, and that is a normal stage of the yeah. grieving process, and it's too soon for Harry to be able to but, view But Sirius. he should have seen this before, when he fucking should've. Hermione saw it. Oh, Hermione Hermione saw it, knew what was... She absolutely knew this no, was going to happen. That's the thing. Harry does know this. He said two sentences ago, Hermione said we should be kind to creature. He does know this, but in the, this moment, he feels the need to defend Sirius because when a member of your family has died, you feel the need to defend them and martyr them. Like, especially a young person. Like, I've been through this in my family. Like, when a young person dies, you feel the need to be like well everything they did was perfect and they were an angel and everything like this mm. and that's not a necessarily wrong thing because it's a fucking tragedy when someone dies before their time but that is not to say that everything they ever did and every move they ever made in life was perfect yeah but families and people that love them have a tendency to do that because it's the only way to cope with the grief that you lost someone too soon yeah and that's what harry's going through mm -hmm. it's so heartbreaking mm -hmm. <laughs> So then Harry is like, well, fuck you for accusing Sirius. I'm going to accuse Snape. Here we go. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to say Snape was goading Sirius out of the house. And Dumbledore says Sirius was much too old and too wise to fall for that. No. No. Ha did you meet the man? Oh, my God. Like, Dumbledore is so wrong. Yeah. He was a 37-year-old man, which is still fucking young. Yep. Trapped in the mind of a 22-year-old. Yeah. Who arguably, maybe even younger, given that when he was 22, he was still at war. That's still stunting well, to yeah, like... Well, yeah, I actually said a war-torn 22-year-old. It's, like, it's both maturing and stunting at the same time. Yeah. And Dumbledore failed to understand this throughout his entire life. Yeah. And also, Dumbledore constantly put teenagers in the line of fire. And I understand that this is repetition of what happened in real life in World War One and World War Two mm. of the main fucking cannon fodder yeah. being teenagers and young adults like I do understand because but there's a reason for that and the reason for that is because that is the age that the fucking propaganda works best on mm. of you need to fight because it's it's what the cause is for and Dumbledore used this to advantage he raised teenage soldiers yeah I mean we know that like Dumbledore is the king of like gaslight girl boss gatekeep mm. And he's literally gaslighting here. He's, like, gaslighting the fact that, like, no, absolutely not. Like, Sirius was not like this. Like, no. he's defending Sirius by gaslighting Harry. Yeah. He's like, he was old enough to realise this was wrong. 
he was old enough in age, but he was not old enough in mental maturity. No, absolutely He's saying not. that Sirius was old enough to not fall for Snape's goading. Yeah. Everything we have witnessed textually, Sirius always fell yeah. for Snape's goading. And like, Harry witnessed this. Yeah. Dumbledore didn't. Didn't. Exactly. He's literally gaslight girl boss gatekeeping him because that's what it takes in this chapter to get He's, harry back on his side and like he I has like, oh. in this in the in these two chapters he has gaslit about sirius yep he has gatekeeped the information yep. about the prophecy oh yeah and he has girl bossed when he was like you know what fudge i'm address your mail to the headmaster literally i is I, dumbledore molly may we all have the same 24 hours <laughs> we can all be Dumbledore if we applied ourselves no I wrote a whole paragraph about how like Dumbledore even in this moment is manipulating Harry to forgive him so he can use him again in the next book I already have the episode titles for the two episodes we've recorded tonight the first one is going to be is Cornelius Fudge Boris and then the second one is going to be is Dumbledore <laughs> May. May. oh no but then we need to release this now for SEO purposes also <laughs> no one is going to be googling is Dumbledore Molly May no. so Dumbledore says Sirius's disregard for creature as a being with feelings is more dangerous than Snape's hatred and this is just a fantastic line in general whether Dumbledore understands Sirius's feelings and emotions or not because he brings up the fountain which is where it gets a little bit heavy-handed with mm. the metaphors um and he says that men have reaped the rewards of harming those less powerful than them for too long and now we are paying the price and harry interprets this as serious paying the price but what he isn't really seeing is the bigger picture of voldemort paying the price and that symbolism of harry hiding behind and being helped by those creatures that are less fortunate than him because harry has the capacity to love understand and empathize with them and voldemort mm -hmm. does not and this is where harry's inherent power comes in because he is saved by the centaurs the goblins and the house elves mm -hmm. in the final book and it's a little bit heavy-handed with this whole statue thing, but I do love it because yeah. it's a book for children. Like, I just I, 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 just really like it. And Harry, in this moment, in his grief, interprets this as a slight against Sirius, but it isn't because Sirius's issue with Creature was personal. And although Sirius was in the wrong for that, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that Sirius was inherently a bad person. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing where if you have beef with anyone that's a minority, it's not that you have beef with the entire minority. Yeah. It's it, it's that one specific person. Yeah. It would be like saying, oh, you don't get along with this one person. You must hate everyone of the same ethnicity. No. No. Yeah. But Dumbledore equates what happens to Sirius because of his hatred of Creature. Because what Creature does, even though it's a personal beef, is an inherent part of Creature's nature as a house self. So they're like, mm. that's where it becomes like, it's personal, but there was there was always going to be ties to that. Yeah, minority well, and less privileged background. Yeah, but once again, I'm like, take any human, and the way that you treat them will reflect on how they treat you. Hundred percent. Like, it, yeah, this is not like even a house elf thing. This is just a thing. But this is what annoys me about the end of the books in general, because in this book we get this deep analysis of the statue yeah. and about how wizards treat those less fortunate than them. And this continues into book seven. Harry is saved canonically by the centaurs, the goblins and the yeah. house elves in book seven. 
And then, at the end of book seven, we have no canonical information about the change in fabric of wisdom society, even though she wrote an epilogue. And she yeah. didn't have to write the epilogue, but she did write the epilogue. But she wrote the epilogue just to write yeah. about the children. So instead of writing that epilogue, to do write about the change in the fabric of wisdom society, which Dumbledore is clearly saying in this chapter, if society doesn't change, the cycle continues. Dumbledore is saying that. And mm. yet we never learn canonically that this cycle is not broken by Harry and his friends. And that fucking irritates me. Yeah. Was it last episode I was talking about Name of the Wind? I know I'm bringing it up yes, again. Yes, it was last episode. Uh, something else that he said, uh, the author of Name of the Wind, which for anyone that wants to know, is Patrick Rothfuss. Mm. But he has a brilliant quote, which I actually, when I read it, I had to um, text Connor about it. And I was like, oh, I was like, I have a bunch of things that I want to say, but I don't want to like ruin the book. So I like tried to talk to him about a bit about it. But it, like, it ties in very much to what we've said about before mm. in terms of the house elves and about how that storyline is just never tied up. So he said, some of J.K. Rowling's politics are deeply prob- problematic. Also, I believe this quote was given before she came out as a transphobe. I could be wrong. Okay. Some of J.K. Rowling's politics are deeply problematic. Given the reach of her books, I felt for a long time that, especially given they were targeted it towards children, I just never felt like she was really a very ethical story storyteller. Never really seemed to think about the long-term consequences of some of the things that she included. So he, like, singles out specifically, like, the Hogwarts houses. Like, never really kind of being wrapped up. Which we've also made the same point. Yeah. Um, uh, and he calls them, like, accidentally unhelpful things. And I, I love that a mm. lot. Yeah. Like, especially because I read that and I was just like... And I read that, like, a couple of chapters into Name of the Wind. And I was like, I can already tell that I'm going to love his book because we literally have that made that same point about the Hogwarts houses, about the house elves. She starts these storylines that she is not prepared to finish and she does not fucking finish them. Yeah. Like, this chapter goes so in-depth on that the wizard's mistreatment of creatures they deem as less human than them is what will be their downfall and then refuses to wrap up that storyline apart from how it relates to Harry and how it relates to Ron and Hermione getting together. Yeah. Like, I I will die on the hill of Ron and Hermione, but that is not how you wrap up the fucking house elf storyline. That's Mm. the last fucking note on it. Yeah. Uh, It's like, oh, slavery. And then two white people got together. Thanks. It's like, she literally used slavery as a plot point to make romance happen. I love Ron Miney, but you're making it hard, Joe. Oh, you're making it hard. It's so <laughs> bad. Oh, and yeah, that's the thing. Like, I understand the whimsy of the way she started off the first mm. book with the with the houses, but she didn't introduce the house of till book four with yeah. the specific intention with Hermione starting spew of being like, this is an issue I have to deal with, and then didn't have the guts to finish it off and not just households but goblins and centaurs and and all the other races she brings this in like this is going to be a big thing and yes they help harry dobby dies for harry the centaurs turn up at the final battle the goblin whose name i forget helps him break into the ministry then turns his back on them at the last minute this is all important to harry's relation to these other creatures but then fair enough if she didn't write an epilogue fine but she did write an epilogue but only so she could tell us who everyone had married and the name of their children. If you're going to write an epilogue, please tell us how the fabric of wizarding society has changed, mainly in terms of the Hogwarts houses and the relation to magical creatures. Yep. 
Because I've got it in my head, yep. how I want to see it, and that's my head yeah. canon, and I'm happy to share that with the podcast when we get to that point. Mm. But that's not actually what's yep. written in the text. Yep. It's like, have you actually uh, dismantled these systems of inequality? No. And as Dumbledore said, these cycles will continue until you do. Yep. Like, Voldemort was a product of this society? And you're just keeping the exact formula that made him? Like, really? Really? She didn't write a romance book. She's not a good writer. She fundamentally did not write a romance book. And then she wrote an epilogue where the only questions that it answered was... Who ends up with who? Yeah. It's like, funnily enough, I did not read these books to find out if four characters with very little chemistry ended up together. And fair enough, that had been the background point to us, the answer of how wizarding, the fabric of wizarding society had changed. Fair enough, if you'd put in that and Ron and Hermione, who were married at this point with two kids, lovely. If Harry and Ginny, who were married at this point with three kids, lovely. Great. I'm happy now. They've all ended up happy because at the end of the day, they all live traumatic lives and do deserve whatever happiness comes to them yep. in whatever form they feel that. If that's having children young, that's fucking fair enough to them. But it's not fair that we don't find out how the fabric of wizarding society has changed. Yeah. I'm getting angry and it's I'm going like, to move on. It was such a like liberal take that in the epilogue, she was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what your personality is like. All personalities are valid, as opposed to being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't segregate people based on their personality. One defining characteristic trait, as if they can't possibly overlap. Hey, I've only named one child after two abusive people in my life. That sounds a good message, right? Right? I swear to God, I was not one of those people. I'm having more booze. I need it. <laughs> we can crack into the vodka. I, <laughs> We're getting to the end of the book. This was bound to happen. <laughs> I never had an issue with the epilogue. Oh, my head. No, I've never like, been one of those people that is angry about it. People, yeah, I feel like people started off from the minute of publishing hating no, it. I've never been that person. I was never one of those people. Oh, I'm glad we're on the same wave. Like, Until this podcast. <laughs> I still don't no, hate I, it. Now I do. Now I do. It's fully <laughs> just maybe made me be like, what is, what is the point in this? I, d- I know that you're like a massive Ron and Hermione stan. I am. But I, am. I just did not give enough shits about either couple that I'm now just like, Okay. I, I am. I, I am a massive fan of them, but I don't feel that the point of the epilogue should have been the romances and the children that they had. That I would like, have, I would have wanted it as a side plot in it. I would have been upset if it wasn't a side plot in it, but it shouldn't have been the main fucking point. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, given what that we just, at that point, just got the satisfaction of Ron and Hermione getting together. At that point, for me... I'm not worried about they last 20 years and have kids. That's not on my mind. You get that satisfaction of, yes, they got together. Finally, slow burn. the slow we burn it. is here. It was really romantic. Excellent. Love it. To me, my next thought is not, are they going to last 20 years and yeah. have children? Yeah. I don't, I'm I don't satisfied care. with I don't how they got shit. together. I'm enjoying it in the moment. They can break up in six weeks if they want, but I'm enjoying it in the moment. Like, it doesn't... Not all relationships have to end in children and marriage, and that doesn't make them any less valid. But she just did that, and it's just like, that's not what I needed from that. That's not... That wasn't what I wanted. I didn't need that confirmation that they fucking were endgame. Like, it doesn't make romance and relationships any less valid if they're not 
They don't end in that. We should get into this in the epilogue episode. Probably, but I'm just very angry about it. Yeah, no, that's valid. I have more feelings. I'm going to save them until the epilogue episode just so we don't spoil mm. them all. Now, Harry accuses Dumbledore of locking people up. Uh, Beautiful. Including him and Sirius. Yes. Perfect. Go for it. Good. Attack this Go man. Go in. And Fuck says, him. Come for blood. And then Dumbledore says, I was trying to keep you alive and oh my god i love this chapter because it sets up so harry is so shocked yeah in book seven when he writes to grindelwald it's for the muggles greater good but the hallmarks of dumbledore making decisions for the greater good are all here and i know harry is in his grief so he doesn't recognize them but reading this back i'm like yeah dumbledore is a person who is all for the greater good. Now, that is not necessarily a bad thing because would Voldemort been defeated in the time frame he was without Dumbledore working for the greater good? Dumbledore is a fantastic character, whether we love him, hate him, whether he's a manipulative bastard, which he is. <sighs> Harry accuses Dumbledore of locking him up and Dumbledore basically says it was for the greater good. It was to keep them alive. And I just love Dumbledore's character because... Harry is a morally good person who would not have done that. But that is not necessarily the right thing. If Dumbledore if is Dumbledore did is Dum is what Dumbledore did the right thing? No. If it defeated Voldemort sooner and therefore less people died, yes? No. Why? If less nameless, faceless, as the quote is in the later chapter, and I'll read it out when it comes to it, because I wrote it down in full, is not nameless, faceless people, including muggles, not dying better than Harry's mental health. But I just think that they're one in the same. Like, I, like, I, but you I, can't have both. We don't live in an ideal world and you can't have both. I don't, I just, why? Why can't you have both? Because there isn't an answer with both. Because Voldemort has created the world where there isn't a way to have both. Harry, so you have to choose one. Harry goes through enough shit and he's going to find out shit eventually. I just think tell him at the optimal time that will be good for him and save enough people. Like, I, I, I you're never going to save him completely from this pain. Yeah. So you believe so you're, Dumbledore should have told him sooner. Yeah. You're okay. just prolonging the pain. You're not making it go away. Yeah. You're prolonging it for selfish reasons that is only going to cost deaths case in point serious yeah no so, i i agree but i sometimes don't believe the criticism that leveled on dumbledore i believe a lot of it is right but i don't believe all of it is right because nameless and faceless people were always gonna die it's like the classic train tracks exactly it yeah. is it is but i don't know to me in this case i'm just like he could have told harry i think it's a disservice to harry and i also think that it's like Sometimes not knowing things is so much worse for your mental health than the wondering. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, when you just go through that really, like, horrible, sicky, anxious, like, not knowing phase of something. Yeah. It's like the anxiety of the unknown is almost always worse than, than the, the knowing. Yeah, definitely. So I'm like, just tell him. Yeah. So all this is leading up to Dumbledore saying, sit down, Harry. I'm going to tell you everything, which I remember so Gonna vividly. Gonna tell you what I should have told you five, five years, years ago. ago. Which I remember so vividly. That was put on the blurb. Mm. I remember it so vividly from the blurb. Because it's the first book I remember 
reading for the first time. Yeah. Like I read the others for the first time, obviously, but this is the one I have memories mm. of waiting it for it to come out and reading it for the first time. And I remember reading that blurb of sit down, Harry. I'm going to tell you everything. What I should have told you five years ago. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so he admits that, okay, this is where we get into all the deep stuff and the prophecy. He admits that he knew Harry would suffer when he left him on the doorstep of mm. number four Privet Drive. And this is where we get the first instance of Dumbledore's tendency to lean towards the greater good. He literally knew that Harry would be abused, but he would not die. So therefore he viewed that as a greater good than dropping him off with wizard parents. Because, mm. and this is a point I had never picked up on in the book, it wasn't just airy-fairy blood magic of Petunia was Lily's sister and that would protect him. Dumbledore placed a charm on Harry which still exists till the beginning of book seven and he says a charm. I checked it, I checked it with Neil, I checked it online. Dumbledore places an actual magical charm on Neil that combines... On Neil? On Neil, on Harry, which combines Lily's blood sacrifice magic that she gave with Petunia and the home and creates... A safe house where Voldemort cannot attack Harry. And I really like this. It's an actual piece of magic and not just some airy fairy like Voldemort just can't attack Harry because love. It's an actual piece of magic that Voldemort, Dumbledore performed. It's not that I don't buy the magic and the charm. It's that I don't buy that there is no equal or near equivalent when we have like so much about how Hogwarts and Gringotts is like protected mm. and safe. Mm. And later on, even after Harry's protection breaks, he goes to safe houses that are given all of this magical protection to keep him safe. And I just think it's like, admittedly, yes, Dumbledore did not know when Voldemort was going to come back. But how it plays out is that he doesn't come back until he's like kind of near the end of his Hogwarts education anyway. So it's like he could have gone anywhere in those years and Voldemort was not a threat but and this is where I think Vol Dumbledore is playing into the greater good without telling Harry because and I think what the line is telling is he says you were not a pampered prince he did not want Harry to be a pampered prince and to think he was the son and the chosen one and the heir in some ways Dumbledore wanted Harry to arrive at Hogwarts not necessarily as abused as he was but with a sense of I'm not good enough I'm the outcast because he wanted him to like almost start on that back foot and I, learn. I understand that, but I just think that there is a happy medium between like really spoiled child and really abused child. Oh, 100%. And I'm not saying Dumbledore was right yeah, in any way. I'm but saying I, just, I think this was part of the plan. I think that there are any number of wizarding families you could have given him to, like name the Weasleys, the Weasleys <laughs> or fucking uh, the neighbour with the cats. Yeah, Mrs. Fake would have raised him. Yeah, right? like there are. She so would have raised him strict. She he would have yeah. been a good boy. Yeah, there are so many families that you could have given him to and been involved in. Mag a fucking McGonagall. Fucking McGonagall would have raised him. Oh right. my god, he he would have been less of a pampered prince, and he even turned up like yeah. from the dead. He would have been. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, without being abused. Like, Women are amazing. I'm trash. Yeah, like oh my god, he yeah he would have been great. He would have cared about other people, but like 
I don't know. I, I do believe that there was like a level of magical protection. But like my issue is he was never remotely attacked whilst at the Dursleys. The closest thing was the Death Eaters, which, as we know, came from the government, not from Voldemort. To oh, me, you mean the Dementors? The, yeah, the, the Dementors, sorry. Like, I just... And yes, admittedly, Dumbledore didn't know. That was, you know, that's how it played out. It could have played out very different, yeah. differently. Voldemort could have come back in like five years rather than like 15 or whatever. But to me, it's just like when you then it's like, oh, when he's at Hogwarts, he's safe. And like, and, you know, whatever. I I, I don't know. It's, it's like the level of like magical protection that they're able to put on other places that I'm like, whilst I appreciate, that the whole like Lily love magic would have been stronger. Mm. It's a bit like having a bunch of metal and you're like, this metal is stronger than this metal, but <laughs> can you punch through either? Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm only kind of like, are you against it in terms of devil devil's, devil's advocate, which is not a term I revel in, but... No. <laughs> but more in the fact that I think this plays into the whole, what I made notes on in the next page... Of Dumbledore's manipulation of Harry in this chapter, he's trying to play like, I did everything for a reason and playing like there weren't other options when there fucking were. Because yeah. what we have to remember throughout this entire chapter and what I'm about to bring up in the next fucking note is at this point, Dumbledore knows Harry is a horcrux. So it's only telling him 50% of the information is Whilst only... framing it as I'm telling the whole truth. Exactly. And is making himself seem like the hero and making Harry want to feel sorry for him and forgive him so that he will trust him mm. in the next book to follow his orders. This is yep. manipulation. Yep. I just think there's another way around this. He could have given him to any family. If he the had protection... given him to the Weasleys, he would not have been a pampered prince. Yeah. The protection... Ron is not a pampered prince. No. The protection is less, but like, I just think there's a certain amount where it's fucking good enough. And obviously it's a different thing. If I mean, if, if he'd he... given him to the Weasleys, Wormtail might have murdered him right off the bat, but you know. <laughs> but I, I don't think Wormtail would have had the motivation to personally. But like, I don't know. To me, it's like, give him to a different family. If Voldemort rise with obviously an insane level of protection, and if Voldemort rises up, then you really reevaluate. If after five years Voldemort rises up again and you go shit, he has to go to Aunt Petunia. Then do it. Then he has to go to yeah. Aunt Petunia. But it's just like he wasn't a threat. You knew that you at least had a few years that he wasn't a threat. So yeah. like, but I think in many ways Dumbledore wanted him to come to Hogwarts and to come to the Wizarding World, beaten down as the outcast because it would make him. Easier to manipulate. Yeah, absolutely. All, honestly. Yeah. It, you oh, know, people, people that have been abused are prone to be abused again. Exactly. So Dumbledore then explains that he knew that there was a flaw in his plan all along and that the flaw was that he cared for Harry and that he cares about his feelings and happiness. But, but when he says this line, and we need to check when we get to the end of book six and book seven, but I am pretty convinced at this point that Dumbledore knows that Harry's a horcrux. I think he knows from the end of book four-ish yeah. that Harry 
is a horcrux. So when Dumbledore is saying there was a flaw in my plan because I cared about you, I loved you, I wanted to see you succeed, I wanted you to be happy and comfortable, he is still only giving Harry the information that is necessary for him in this moment to trust Dumbledore again yeah. and to love Dumbledore again and for him to follow Dumbledore again and he's manipulating him. And like, okay, I just want to talk about like... What would have happened canonically if Harry had found out he was a Horcrux at this point? Mm. This might be too big a topic for this chapter, but... Because Dumbledore feels it's important that Harry only finds out he's a Horcrux at the last minute. Because otherwise he feels he would not have the strength to sacrifice himself. But I think Dumbledore is underestimating Harry in that yeah. sense. Because I think Harry always had the strength to sacrifice yeah, himself. absolutely. Like, if it's like, oh, either you die or all your friends die... Harry would it die doesn't in a matter. Heartbeat. Like any most people, ninety nine percent of people would make the same choice. It doesn't matter when you find that information out. Like, it doesn't even have to be my friends. If you said to me like, "You're gonna die," or like sixteen other people, I'd be like, "Okay, <laughs> well, sixteen people." I with finally lives. die. <laughs> but that's why I think Dumbledore underestimates Harry because he's comparing him to his own feelings and emotions. Yeah. Because Dumbledore would survive rather than 16 people because he thinks he's cleverer whereas Harry sees himself as the everyman yeah and in that way Dumbledore constantly underestimates Harry because if Harry had found I truly believe if Harry had found out a Horcrux at this point the same end of the books would have happened yeah we'll get to book seven and work this out because yeah. I might be, I, I think I've forgotten parts of what is said mm. in the pensive chapter I really do so yeah Please like, don't tweet me, like, you've forgotten this part. I want to mm. get to it and realise. It's like, one part of me is like, I guess it would be hard for him to motivate himself to destroy the other That's Horcruxes. Yeah. Which, like, obviously, yes, he would be motivated in terms of, like, trying to save other people. But I can also, I can also see the side that no matter how much you care about the other people, if you're like, oh, I die at the end of this, mm. it must put us a certain conflict yeah, on it definitely for, You're not, for a 15 year old <laughs> you might not be rushing as much you yeah. know yeah definitely and he wouldn't have okay so if he had known that I think what would have happened is he would have carried on but he wouldn't have had the capacity to continue to love yeah. the way he did because what's the point in loving yeah and this isn't a criticism i'm trying to imagine if i knew i was going to die in two years yeah what's the point in loving and making connections if you know you're going to die because you're going to hurt those people and i, guess, I think that's what harry would have thought i guess the distinction might have been not even with harry but with hermione where it might have been that it would have given hermione time to be like harry i don't think you'll die you know, it might give her time to work that out yeah. and therefore him sacrificing himself wouldn't have had the same meaning because he wouldn't truly be sacrificing himself and therefore protecting everyone else. That's Maybe true. that was the distinction. Maybe. But I think I think it also has something to do with that Harry being the person he is would have separated himself from everyone, from Lupin, from Ron, from Hermione, from Ginny, from Mr and Mrs Weasley because what's the point and it would only hurt them mm. more to love them if he's going to die so he would have pulled away from them and therefore it doesn't work yeah. plot wise I love the line from Dumbledore that what did I care that a number of nameless and faces people or creatures were slaughtered in the vague future I think this is a great line to do with the greater good metaphor of what does 
what does someone you personally care about's happiness matter in terms of people you don't know have never met in the future like it's it is that train track thing of would you save the one person you love compared to 16 people you don't love it's but to me i'm just like who are these people that are apparently dying serious it's only serious no in the next book we get all of the people dying we get amelia vance and hannah Abbott's mum and no. all of the nameless and faceless people and creatures. No, but and at this families of house No, no, elves. no. At this point, because he's talking about if he hadn't told Harry, he's like, oh, like, I would rather not tell you and all these people die. But the only person that dies as a consequence of Harry not knowing is serious. He only, it's not nameless, faceless people uh, that he. Bertha Jorkins? That's not because he didn't tell Harry. That would have happened regardless. Uh, it's only serious. It's it, not nameless, faceless people. I it's he, serious. I suppose if he had told Harry and the whole Hawkeye plan had been set in motion earlier and they had worked together, then maybe people could have been spared like Bertha Jorkins. And also the ministry employee that clearly got slaughtered because he wasn't on guard duty oh that my night. God, yeah. We don't talk about the ministry employee who got slaughtered <laughs> enough. Yeah. But like, yeah. RIP for Paul. I'm going to call him Paul. Yeah. Like, I guess. But then it's like, regard, like that kind of would have happened regardless of Harry knowing. It's just that he would have been slaughtered and Harry wouldn't have turned up. But you Dumbledore didn't know when Voldemort was going to turn up. He knew it would happen eventually. I don't know. To me, he's like, oh, like it. So what? Like I delayed telling you and it would mean that nameless, faceless people would die. The only people that died as a consequence was serious. And that was not a nameless or faceless person. Like, I'm not saying that that makes it okay, but it's as if he's like, oh, well, these random people would die. But like, I, suppose, I don't know. I guess I, you... <sighs> I suppose Dumbledore is almost saying, to if be I fair, had told you earlier, we could have hunted down all the Horcruxes and killed Voldemort before he came back to life. And he's almost taking on what is Fudge's responsibility for the amount of people that die in book six, yeah. which is a fucking lot of people, which is actually yeah. Fudge's responsibility. Yeah. Dumbledore is almost taking on that guilt. Yeah, but it's like, whilst people, whilst other people died, it's like the only one that was as a direct consequence of Harry not knowing was serious. Yes, you could argue the security guard, but that would have happened regardless of ha if Harry turned up or not. It's all the what ifs, isn't it? Is but it kind of to me it kind of reads as like in hindsight is like Dumbledore twisting the truth. Yeah, Dumbledore is manipulating Harry in this. He's gaslight girl boss gatekeeper. He is gaslight girl boss gatekeeper. So then he finally says it was a prophecy, and we get to the prophecy bit. Da -da -da. Da -da -da. I can hear Neil pulling the curtains. There was a prophecy made that Voldemort believes from what he heard of the prophecy. Basically, Voldemort believes you have to kill Harry. Yeah. Based on the prophecy. Mm -hmm. He believes that Harry has powers, special powers, and that he needs to kill him. The prophecy was told to Dumbledore by Trelawney. First gasp. And Dumbledore play then plays it for Harry. But the big reveal, which isn't even the biggest reveal of this chapter, but it was the biggest reveal for me, is that the prophecy could have also been about... Dun, dun, dun. Neville. Yep. It's good shit. It's, it's good, good fucking shit. shit. It's good shit because Harry is so absorbed by grief and everything else, he's not even like, what? Oh my God. He's just like, well then, why didn't he go after Neville? Why did he yeah. choose me? He could have got it wrong. And Dumbledore is like, hey, 
the point in that prophecy where he said marked him as his equal mm. was not fulfilled until he chose either you or Neville. Yeah. Therefore, in choosing one of you, he fulfilled that part of the prophecy. Therefore, it's about of you. And Harry is like, well, he still could have got it wrong. And this is where I side with Harry more than Dumbledore, but then this all gets flipped on its head in book six when Dumbledore is like, haha, prophecies aren't even real, wrecked. But Harry is like, it could have been about Neville in the first place. And it still is, in my mind, because can you imagine a world where Neville would ever rest, ever sleep, ever relax, ever settle down if Voldemort was still alive? No. Then therefore, the prophecy is also about Neville. Yeah. Absolutely. And also Neville plays a hand. He literally kills one of his Horcruxes. Exactly. So the prophecy wasn't just about Harry. Yeah. It was the, also about Neville. The thing is, like, the Horcrux is like, oh, like, yes, like, this guy will be born that will, like, destroy him or whatever. But, like, yeah, Neville does that. Yeah. It's like the output would be different had Neville not been born. So it kind of is about them both. It is about... And this is where the whole bit in book six gets really complicated with, like, the prophecy isn't real. There's hundreds of prophecies that were never fulfilled. You're only fulfilling it because you have to. Because And Dumbledore literally asks Harry, and we'll cover it in book six, but could you sleep? Could you walk on this earth if Voldemort is still living? And Harry says no. But the same is true for Neville, because yeah. Neville lives mad for Harry. But the same is true for Ron, and the same is true for Hermione, and the same is true mm-hmm. for all of these children that yeah. have been affected by war. And that is where the prophecy doesn't becomes not real, because when Harry seemingly dies at the end mm. of book seven, the war does not end. Voldemort has not won because Neville carries on and Ron it's not carries a one on. one beef. No, Neville carries on, Ron carries on, Hermione carries on, McGonagall carries on. Because none of them can live while yeah. Voldemort yeah. survives. And that's where the prophecy is so good because it isn't about one of them. It's about yeah. all of them and none of them exactly. at the same time. Yeah. Like the only bit that narrows it down to Harry is the whole mark him as his equal. Yeah. But then he'll going to establish in the next book that prophecies are bollocks. You know? It's just that it. the only thing that makes Harry the one to actually cast the final curse is Voldemort's act of picking him out. Yeah. Exactly. Not Harry's because Neville and Ron and Hermione and all of them could have done the same thing. Yeah. And I love that. I think Absolutely. that is genius. Yeah. It like, it sets Harry on this path that then leads him towards like the knowledge and the wand that lets him do that. Yeah. But that could have been true of any of them. <sighs> it's so good. It's so good, especially because prophecies are such high fantasy novel. And until this point, Harry Potter has been kind of low fantasy elements it's very Mm. grounded in like the muggle world and like you know when you think of high fantasy you think of the latter half of game of thrones and it's all gone weird awful (laughs) well the books haven't but the tv show has yeah (laughs) when you get to the prophecy bit of harry potter you're like whoa prophecy high fantasy and then the next book brings it back down to earth when it's like well no actually this load of bullshit words and do like yeah I love the way she toys with high fantasy and brings it back down to low fantasy. I just think it's really clever. And mm-hmm. Neville, as you said, deserves his dick sucked because he Absolutely. is the real um, hero of this story. Yeah, I would suck the soul out of that boy. Are you a dementor? I'm just that good. So Voldemort's then like, well, you defeated Voldemort four times. Mm. Which is more than your parents or Neville's parents. And Harry's like, cool, okay, <laughs> great. 
And then Harry questions why Voldemort didn't wait till Harry and Neville were older. Yeah. To see which of them had more power, which is a like good point from Harry. Well made. And But it's a bit like the whole killing Hitler as a baby argument, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. It's like, well, would that have helped? Is it easier to kill a baby? Yeah, it's like surely by the time you know which is more powerful, it's like kind of too late. But is this where what Hermione said two chapters ago of that killing a baby is inherently and morally wrong? Is that where mm. that comes in? Yeah. But is that why that was in this book? But Voldemort's like, ha ha! There was an eavesdropper and he only heard the beginning. This was a convenient eavesdropper who got, oh, got yeah. conveniently pulled away. What, what a fucking time. <laughs> I'm just like, the convenience of this man hearing the first two to three lines of this prophecy and then getting conveniently pulled away. But uh, do you know what? I'll buy it. Like, these things happen. Yeah. Fine. Fine. So an eavesdropper, who we don't know who it is at this point, we'll get to it in the next book, only hears up until up to the seventh month dies part of the prophecy so he only hears one to vanish the dark cause approaches and the details about who it is mm. so he doesn't hear any of the shit about that he has the power to defeat him so then we get into the bit of the prophecy that is like <sighs> he will have the power the dark claws those no the, the, he will have the power the dark lord knows not and Voldemort actually skirts around, skirts around the word. The word love is never said. Mm. Dumbledore is like, I think I just said Voldemort. Ignore it. <laughs> Dumbledore is like, there is a thing that is studied in the Department of Mysteries that is, uh, it is the thing that makes you grieve for serious. It's love. It's love. Okay. It's love. Um, Fine. It's love. But I do kind of like that it's not like the kind of bullshit explanation we got in book one that it's mm. like lily loved you and she dived in front of you and that's why you lived it's more than that but not but it is mm. <laughs> harry's capacity to love gives him the ability to empathize with people and creatures and blah 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 that are not on the same societal level as him and to sacrifice himself to save everyone at the end of book seven, which is the power that Voldemort knows not, because he would never sacrifice himself and he can't empathise with people and creatures that he deems as lower than him. And then I was kind of thinking about how Voldemort points out that Harry is constantly hiding behind people's skirts. Mm. That's a line that is said in book seven. And I was kind of like... You know, I've never really thought about that before, but Harry is only hiding behind people's skirts because he has the ability to love and therefore he has skirts to hide behind. Yeah. Voldemort never has skirts to hide behind because he never had the ability yeah. or the compassion to love. He never has anyone to dive in front of the curse for him. And it's not that Harry has waves of people sacrificing himself for him. It's that Harry has a power that Voldemort knows not, which is this constant line of people that are willing to die for him yeah and that's what it is yeah then we get to the bit the prophecy is like one either can live while the other survive which I never understood as a child I thought it meant that if one dies the other dies I was absolutely convinced that both were going to die at the end I was disappointed when they didn't yeah I thought but it meant that if one died the other died <laughs> it's like it's so like vaguely and confusingly phrased to me that when Harry's like does that mean that one of us kills the other I'm like how did you get there? <laughs> I was lost. Neither <laughs> like, can live while the other survives. To me, implies that when one of them dies, the other... And I seriously thought these books were going to end with Harry having to sacrifice himself yeah. to death to kill Voldemort. Yeah. As a 
13 year old I was like oh Harry's gonna have to kill himself yeah <laughs> it's like neither can live or the other survives but they're both alive now like I know that it doesn't necessarily mean live in terms of like have heartbeat I know that there's other elements to life but like you know yeah. neither can live while the other survive they are yeah right now yeah. So, like, explain yourself. But there's also, yeah, that way of interpreting it, which so many people ha- thought it was going to end with, oh, but it's neither going to bother you to survive, but one must die at the hand of the other or whatever it yeah. is. That, like, they both have to die for it to end. And, like, mm. would that be... I was absolutely convinced that Harry was going to die at the end. Absolutely yeah. convinced as I went into book seven. I was like, Harry's going to die. Mm. <laughs> no, J.K. Rowling wouldn't do that. But that would have been heartbreaking. But yeah. that's how I thought it was going to end. But yeah, Violet. it is confusingly worded because like for three years, both of them are alive. They kind of get to the end of their conversation after the <laughs> neither can live while the other survives. And Harry is stunned as he hears people getting up for breakfast that people's lives are carrying on while he mourns Sirius and he is convinced if he could just pull back the veil that Sirius would be there. Um, the description of grief is so real and so raw. Like that that thing where you're like, people's lives just care. Like, especially when you're an adult and you're working, you're like, wait, the next day of work just arrives around and I'm expected to just reply to emails? Like, you want that? For- what? Yeah. Like that shock of being like, that world just carries on. It's mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. And then Dumbledore finishes the chapter with the worst paragraph in this whole book. I don't care about Sirius dying. I don't care about it. I care about this. <clears throat> Dumbledore says that he thought Harry had enough responsibility to be getting on with and therefore that he didn't make him a prefect because he had enough responsibility to getting on with and then he cries. It's like, Dumbledore, <laughs> I don't think Harry cares right now. Okay. I've wrote many things to try to explain this because I've hated this my whole life. And I don't care that I still hate it because I think that's valid. Mm -hmm. But I wrote some notes to try to work this out. But but why do you hate it? Tell me why you hate it. I hate it because it's just not what is on your mind when your godfather dies and all of your friends are in the hospital. Like, Harry has already come to terms that he didn't really mind it that much. Like, emotionally over that. And it's just so... Dumbledore's reaction is just so disproportionate to everything else. Yeah. So the reason I've always hated it because is Ron not allowed... Is Ron not allowed a single crumb? Yeah. <laughs> Can we not throw Ron one single bone? Yeah. <laughs> like, also that, but I'm just like, oh my God, like, does academic validation have to be the be-all, end-all? Like, yeah. has Harry not proved himself enough? Why are we, like, pressuring him to, like evaluate himself by this new benchmark it's like i don't know you know when there's like an achievement and it hasn't remotely bothered you that you haven't achieved that thing that you didn't want to achieve that thing you put no effort into achieving that thing that wasn't it wasn't on your list of priorities and then that someone's like oh i'm sorry that you didn't achieve this thing and you're like "Ooh, ouch well, Even I, though you didn't want it. It's like the pure act of someone saying, oh, I'm sorry you didn't do that. I'm like, Ow. I didn't want it. Now I do. Yeah. I came up with three reasons why J.K. might have written, written this because written, wrote this because I've been upset about this life since it got published. And I needed to try to work it out. Okay. So, one, 
Maybe because it would have shown that Dumbledore cared about Harry and cared about how he did in life without having to interact with him. It's that kind of thing where he could have told McGonagall to tell Lupin to pass mm. the message on. Making him prefect would have shown confidence in him without personally interacting with, yeah. him with him. Two, J.K. Rowling has just done a huge high fantasy thing with the prophecy and she's like, wow, I need to ground this back in the reality of life. So I'm going to ground it back with something that all readers can understand, prefects, and that's going to make Dumbledore cry because the minutia in of hindsight, life... no, because Americans would be like, huh? huh? Makes us more cryy than the big events. And that kind of relates to my point three, is small acts often add up to what is the big difference. If Harry had been made a prefect at the beginning of the book, would he have realised Dumbledore had confidence in him and then not have had the tailspin and then not have yeah. rebelled against Snape during the occlumency lessons and then would not have not had the confidence to go after Sirius? Yeah. Is that what she's trying to tell us? That these small acts add up to a big difference? But none of that matters because this line is such a fucking slap in the face to Ron that mm. I don't fucking care. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. They're both as useless as each other. Exactly. Give it to what Neville. Harry done Give more? it to Seamus. Give it to Dean. Give it to Dean. Like, Give it to Neville. Like, what has Harry done more than Ron? Nothing. He's actually got in more trouble than Ron. Yeah. In that first year, Ron was in the hospital wing while the rest of them went off to their big detentions that lost them 50 points. Yeah. So... Ron does deserve it more than Harry, but you know who deserves it more than both of them? Dean or Seamus yeah. or Neville. Yeah. Fuck Literally off, anyone, Dumbledore. Anyone. Throw the rest of them a fucking crumb. Yeah. I hate Dumbledore in this moment. Yeah. And this bit has annoyed me my whole life. Um, Valid. I seriously thought the bit about the prophecy not being real and not having to be fulfilled was in this chapter, but it's actually in book six. So a lot of my notes went out the window. And that's all the notes I have. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, what a beefy chapter. That is a heavy chapter. But we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Wow. Heavy. And then we've just got one more episode to Terrifying. finish off the book. Horrifying. And to set your guys' expectation, we have another book episode. Then we'll have a film episode. And then we're adding in a new feature called a listener submission episode, which we'll yep. give you more details on in the next episode of how you can join in. Yeah, but yeah, Misu is sniffing my feet. That is what he does. But that's what you've got look, got to look forward to before book six. Mm -hmm. But hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Dumbledore and all the bullshit. Yeah. Um. Goodbye from me. Bye. And goodbye from Misu. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Samuel, Samantha, Nicholas, Lewis, Layla, Catherine, Hannah, Ashley, Ash, Amelie and Alexia. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.